Well, good morning to each one. I too would greet you in the name of Jesus. It's good to be with you this morning. I have always enjoyed coming to Ebenezer to worship with you. Uh, feels a little bit like home. I have to admit it feels more like home when I'm down there. When I was deciding what to share this morning, I wasn't aware that you had revival meetings coming up. Uh, but I think the message that I have this morning uh, could be viewed as a, as a pre-revival message. Uh, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. My title this morning is, Be Ye Doers of the Word, Not Hearers Only. I think that most of us here have had the blessing of being taught Scripture from little up. Uh, we've went to Sunday school, Bible school, our parents have taught it, taught Scripture to us. For the most part, we know Scripture from cover to cover. And yet, oftentimes in our life, there are things that the Word of God and the, and the Spirit of God brings to light that aren't quite right. And when this happens, I think it's easy to try to justify ourselves and say, well, look at all these things we do do right. Look how different we are than them out there. And, you know, don't mess with this area. Uh, but this morning, I want to I challenge you and me as well, that as we look into the Word of God and as the Spirit works in our hearts and convicts us that we will not just hear the Word of God, we will not just see the areas that need improvement, but we will, by the grace of God, be willing to change. So James chapter 1, I want to read verses 17 through 27. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. <clears throat> I wasn't totally sure how much to include in this reading. My focus this morning is verses uh, 22 through 25, but I wanted to include verses 17 and 18 because I think those two verses are foundational in this subject. If you look at verse 17, verse 17 gives us a picture of God, who God is. Verse 18 
gives us a glimpse of God's purpose for his people, what God desires for his people. But if you look back at verse 16, it says, do not err. And that points all the way back to verse 13, where James is telling us something that God is not. He's saying, God does not bring us temptation. When we experience temptation, that's not coming from God. God is not one who is trying to get us to fall. He's not one that likes to see us stumble. And then he goes on to tell where temptation comes from. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then he says, do not err. So this is not who God is. God is one that brings us every good and perfect gift. That's who God is. God loves us. God cares about His. And then verse 18 goes on to say God's will for us. God begat us with the word of truth, and we are a kind of first fruits of His creatures. That's who we are. God, God cares about how we act. And He goes on then in verses... Uh, when the next, the rest of the passage really, and talks about some practical things of how we are to act, how we how we respond to others, um, how we receive the word of God, the things that we allow into our life, um, the way we use our tongue. He talks about these things, and these these all point back to who God is and what God has for us, for His people, because we are His first fruits, because we are made in the image and likeness of God, because He begat us, He wants us to live a certain way. We reflect the character of God. We show the world who God is. And so God cares about the way we act. We go now to verses 22 through 25. I was impressed recently as I read through the book of James the amount of illustrations that James uses to, to bring out the points he's trying to make. He talks about a wave in the sea at one place and compares it with an unstable man. At one place he talks about a flower, a beautiful flower that, that blossoms, and then he compares that with a rich man and how it looks good for a little, but soon its petals fall off and, and they die. Uh, he compares our tongue and controlling our tongue with uh, putting a bit in a horse's mouth with a rudder on a ship, and he compares it with a fire. He talks about a farmer and the way a farmer plants his seed, and then he has to wait for the rain. He has to wait to harvest his crops, and then he compares that with the Christian waiting on the Lord. But in these verses, he uses the example of a mirror, and he compares the Word of God with a mirror. And as I thought about this, my mind went to people that make resolutions. We're about a month and a half away from January 1, and a lot of people made resolutions. They took their mirror, whether physically or figuratively, they looked in their mirror and they saw things that weren't right. They saw things that they could improve. For a lot of them it was probably, I need to stop eating so much, or I need to start saving more money. Uh, or maybe I need to start uh, spending more time with my family. Whatever it was, they saw something in their life that wasn't right, and they, they purposed in their heart that they were going to change. They were going to do better. But I was looking at some statistics on the Internet, and it showed that 
92% of people that make these resolutions don't keep them. So they look in their mirror, they see things that are wrong, and then just like this passage says, they walk away and don't do anything about it. So what is the mirror that we're talking about? Well, the mirror is the Word of God. And as we look into the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, it shows us who we are, and it shows us areas in our life that aren't right. Now there's, there's some differences between God's Word and a mirror. When we look into a mirror, we see the external. We see what's on the outside. But when we take the Word of God and we look into the Word of God, the Word of God shows us our heart. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, the writer compares the Word of God to a sword. It says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God shows us the thoughts and the intents of the heart. A mirror shows us what's on the outside. The Word of God shows us the heart. But the only way that the Word of God is going to show us our heart is if we look into it. Just like a mirror. The only way a mirror can show us what's on the outside is if we look into it. As I, as I studied this, this message and as I thought about comparing the Word of God to a mirror, several illustrations came to my mind. And interestingly enough, they all involve teenagers. It seems that teenagers and mirrors have something in common. A teenager is somewhat lost without his or her mirror. And the first, the first illustration I want to share happened just down the road here. When I was a teenager, I used to try to find excuses to come to South Boston. And a friend and I were down here one time, and we were staying in Benjamin's room. He wasn't at home at the time. But we were getting ready to go somewhere, and there wasn't a mirror in the room. And we started looking around for a mirror. And I think we even opened up drawers and, and looked for a mirror. And we said, how does he get ready to go anywhere without a mirror? And again, I was a teenager, and I was in South Boston, so a mirror was important. I needed a mirror. Well, finally, we opened the closet door, and on the back side of the closet door, we found Benjamin's mirror. So we were able to open the door, and then we could look into the mirror and see how we looked. Now, comparing that to the Word of God, you know, we can have the, the finest Bible that CLP has to sell. It can be leather-bound. It can, be, it can have four different translations. It can even have our name on the front. But if we don't take it and if we don't look into it, it doesn't do us a bit of good. If it's just sitting on a coffee table or sitting on a bookshelf, it's not going to do us any good. It doesn't hold any power if we don't open it up and look into it. We have to get it out and use it. Now look at verses 23 and 24. In verse 23 and 24, it's talking about the man looking in the mirror, and it, it, it uses the word beholding. Uh, the, this man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. This word is a different word than, than what's used in verse 25 when it says looketh, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. The word beholding is often translated consider or perceive. The word looketh 
means to bend beside or to lean over. It's the same word that's used when Mary went to the tomb to anoint Jesus. And it says she stooped down and she looked inside. So it gives us the idea of not just a casual glance, but actually leaning over, looking into the Word of God, studying the Word of God, digging into it, and, and truly, truly looking, taking that extra effort, that extra time to dig in and study. Again, think about a teenager. When they stop at the mirror before they go out, it's not just a casual glance. They have to stop. They might even bend over, get a little closer, and they, they take time and they study themselves. And, and then when they see problems that are wrong, they don't just walk away. They fix it. Whatever it is, they take care of it. It's that important. And that's the way we need to handle the Word of God. It's that important. We need to look into it. We need to study it. And as the Spirit convicts, we need to change. Verse 25 then says, He doesn't just look into it, but He continueth therein. I think we probably all know people who know Scripture very well, maybe even better than us, but they don't practice it. They've, they've looked into Scripture, but they don't continue therein. And again, these people are no better than the 92% of people that make New Year's resolutions and don't, don't keep them. Only it's a lot more. The consequences are greater. Another excuse people may use for not looking into the Word of God is something that Paul referred to in Romans 7, and that is that the law exposes sin. In Romans 7, verse 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So when we read Scripture, it does expose ourselves. It does expose God's plan for us. And sometimes it can be maybe a little uncomfortable. But that's no reason not to do it. These people may use the, the saying, ignorance is bliss. If I don't know what's here, it doesn't matter. You know, don't, don't talk to me about that because I don't want to know. And I, I do believe that God holds people accountable for what they know. On the other hand, willful ignorance is disobedience. And I don't think God will, will tolerate uh, willful negligence when it comes to his word. Another example of me in my teenage years. When I was out at Bible school, I was getting ready to, to I was getting ready for breakfast one morning and again, if there's any place that you have to look right uh, after South Boston's Bible school. And I was getting ready to comb my hair that, that morning and I had got some hair gel and I put it in my hair and I rubbed it around. You know, I wanted everything to look right and I, I went and did something else and I forgot to finish my job. And I headed out in the hall and, and headed down for breakfast and I met a couple girls coming from their dorm and they smiled and said hi and I told them good morning and all of a sudden it hit me. I didn't finish my combing my hair. And so you can imagine what I did. I turned around and I went back. I looked in the mirror and I fixed it. Now again, comparing that with the Word of God, just because, you know, I had a mirror available there. I could have looked in it before I went out, but I chose not to. 
And just because I wasn't aware of the fact that my hair was a mess didn't change the fact that it was a mess. It's the same with the Word of God. Just because we, we ignore it doesn't change the condition of our soul. If you notice in verse 25 there, it uses the phrase, Whoso looketh in to the perfect law of liberty. How do you view the Word of God? Do you view it as binding, or do you view it as something that brings liberty? Turn to Romans chapter 6. I want to read verses 17 through 23. Romans 6 verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men. Because of the infirmity of your flesh, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, ye become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the thing that stands out to me in these verses is, whether we like it or not, we are going to be a slave to something. Either we are a slave, and in this passage it uses the word servant. If you look in the NIV, it uses the word slave. That we are either going to be a slave to sin, or we are going to be a slave to righteousness, to the Word of God. That's what this passage is saying. It says, we used to be a slave to sin, but then in verse 18 it says, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And we see in verse 20, the result of being a slave or a servant to sin. It says, when you were the servants of sin... You were free from righteousness, so the, 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 the law of God, the word of God, didn't have any effect on our life. But it says, what fruit had ye then? For the end of those things is death. So if we are a slave to sin, the result is going to be death. But then verse 22, but now being made free from sin, ye have become, or and become servants to God. What's your fruit? Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And then it it, uh, reiterates it there in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, we are going going to be a slave to one side or the other. Either we are bound to the word and the will of God, or we are bound to sin. We choose what we are going to be bound to. We can't be free from both. And we see there the result of our choice in this passage. So, yes, we could view the Word of God as as binding, as something that we are bound to, but really the Word of God is liberating because it frees us from sin. It frees us from the bondage of sin. So it's our choice what we are going to be yoked with. I want to go back now 
in James chapter 1 to verse 19. We just looked at these verses briefly. But verse 19 uh, gives us some practical things to consider. Talks about how we listen to each other. Says we're to be swift to hear. How we respond to each other. We're to be slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Talks about putting off anger. Talks about meekly receiving the word. It talks about what we allow in our life. Uh, not allowing filthiness nor superfluity or an abundance of naughtiness. If you jump down to verse 26 and 27, it speaks of controlling our tongue. Uh, speaks of relating to the hurting, the less fortunate among us. Now, why are these things put here? Are these just random things that James thought he would add uh, to complicate things? No, I think, they, I think they all point back to the foundational truths that we already looked at in verses 17 and 18. Who God is and why he has put us here. Again, God cares about how we act. We are first fruits of his creation. We are made in his image. He has created us to bring glory to himself. And, and the way we act uh, reflects to the world who he is. So God cares about how we respond to others, how we relate to each other. In verse 21, it talks about laying off the filth of this world. Lay, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, if you, if you look at these verses and then go back up to verse 17, well, in, in, in these verses, it says to lay, lay aside these things. Oftentimes in life, these things do seem somewhat appealing. The devil has made the filth of the world look appealing at times. But why would we want the filth of the world in our life when in verse 17 we are told that God has given us Every good and perfect gift. God has made that available to us. Why would we want the filth of the world? No matter how enticing it looks. It's not something that we want to allow in our life. And then James calls us in verse 21. Don't, don't take up the filth, but rather receive with meekness the engrafted word. But the NIV says, humbly accept the word planted in you. So again, when we look at these things, how do we respond? When we look in this mirror and, and we see things, maybe, you know, maybe the Spirit tells us that we don't respond to people the way we should. Uh, we are too quick to get angry. We have allowed the filth of the world in our life. How do we respond to this? Well, again, if we're like the man in verse 23 and 24 that looks at himself in a mirror and then turns and walks away, we're no different than him if we don't if we don't change when when the spirit convicts us of these things in our life Jesus talked about these people as well in Matthew 7 you can turn to that if you like Matthew 7 I want to read verses 7 uh, I'm sorry 21 through 27 this is Jesus closing statements after he had preached the sermon on the mount it says this, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, 
Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then he gives this parable. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now we see here in this parable, Jesus talks about two men, a wise man and a foolish man. And there's a lot of similarities between these two men. Number one, they both heard the same message. They both heard Jesus' message. Number two, they both built a house. And, and Jesus doesn't elaborate on the house, but I, I would picture Jesus, uh, Jesus picturing a ha- two houses that looked probably identical on the outside is the way I would see this. They both built a house. They both looked the same. They probably were both nice. They also both experienced the same difficulties. They both experienced storms. And yet, what was the difference between the two? The one house fell, the one house stood. Well, the difference was the one, well, they were both hearers of the word, but only one of them was a doer of the word. Only one of them took Jesus' message and actually applied it to his life. It's not enough just to hear the word of God. We must do it. That's foundational if our house is going to stand uh, when the storms come. Romans 2 verse 13 says this, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. It's not just enough to know about the problem. We must take steps to correct it. I heard uh, a story told one time. Some of you may have read the book about Dr. Elton Lehman. Uh, um, uh, He he, uh, worked with the Amish out in Ohio. And in his book, the story about his life, the story is told in there about, I believe it was some, some, a little more liberal Christians had met together with an Amish historian. And if I know the story right, there was about 60 of these men that were together, and they were asking this Amish historian some questions. And one of the questions they asked him was, why is it that the Amish are so much different than the rest of us Christians? You know, we're all Christians. We all read the same word. How come the Amish are so much different? And so the Amish historian asked them a question in response. He asked them, he said, how many of you in this room have a television? And, again, I believe there was, I believe there was 60 in the room and 57 hands went up. That yes, they had television. So he then asked them, he said, how many of you would say that your television is a detriment to your life? And no hands went up. And so he just sat there a little and waited. And finally, a few people started raising their hands. And eventually, 57 hands went up, saying that the television was a detriment to them. So he then asked them the question. He said, well, now that you've admitted that your television is a detriment to you, 
How many of you are going to go home and get rid of it? And no hands went up. And he said, that's the difference between the Amish and the rest of you. The Amish take their spiritual life serious enough that if there's a weight that's dragging them down, if there's something that's holding them back, they don't allow it in their life. Now, I don't tell that story to exalt the Amish or to put down the liberals, but it's just to make a point that if there is things in our life, I I think too often there are weights in our life that we know about that are dragging us down, but they mean too much to us. We like them too much, and we don't want to get rid of them. But if we are going to be true to God and true to his word, we need to get rid of those weights that would drag us down. I want to go now to three different instances in Scripture, and I'm kind of switching gears here. But all three of these Scriptures have something in common, and that is they, they tell us something to do that we are to do daily, something we are to do every day. And, and the Christian life is not a one-time thing. The Christian life is something that we are to do daily. And this, is not, this list is not exhaustive. It's not everything that we're to do daily, but it's three things that I found uh, in my studies that we are called to do or maybe that someone else said they were going to do daily. The first one is in Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2. This is a psalm of David. And David is making a resolve here. He says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. David resolved that every day he was going to bless and he was going to praise the Lord. Now, we know the story of David. He had a lot of good days, but David also had a lot of bad days. He, there was different periods in his life when things were just a mess. People were trying to kill him. He had to flee from his enemies. And yet he says every day, he doesn't just say on the good days, he says every day I'm going to bless and I'm going to praise the name of the Lord forever and ever, every day. Can we say that we do that every day? The next one is in Hebrews 3, verse 13. It says this, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily. This is a, this is a challenge to me. How often do we encourage each other? Do we build each other up? Do we, do we reach out to the ones around us that are hurting? This here says do it daily. Now, you may say, well, I don't even see all my brothers daily. How can I exhort them daily? Well, often when we think of encouraging each other, we think of actually reaching out and helping someone or saying a kind word to them. But there's different ways that we can encourage each other. I wrote down, uh, I think, three of them here. Three things that we can do to encourage each other daily. Uh, and these are things that, that are an uh, encouragement to me. The one is simply to live a life of holiness. That's an encouragement to me. When I see people living a life of holiness, when I see people taking this mirror, looking into this mirror and actually applying it to their life, even if it means sacrificing things, even if it means getting rid of something comfortable or, or whatever the case may be, that they take this mirror and they apply it to their life. That's an encouragement to me, even without them saying anything to me. Another way we can encourage each other 
It's to simply be at church when the doors are open. That's an encouragement to each other. And in the early church, in Acts chapter 2, we read that they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Now, sometimes we think we have too many services. But in the early church, they, they met together daily. And breaking bread from house to house, they'd eat their meat, not out of obligation, but with gladness and singleness of heart. It was something they wanted to do. They were glad to do it. And then it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then we see the result of that. The Lord added daily to the, added to the church daily, such as should be saved. So meeting together has a way of encouraging each other. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, I want to start reading verse 23. It says this, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now I, want to, I want to make some comments before I read on. I'm not sure what group of people these were that the writer was writing to. Uh, if any of these people were the same ones in Acts 2, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of you could help me out. But it appears like these were Christians that at one time were on fire for the Lord. They were excited about serving the Lord. But if you read the rest of this chapter, it seems like they were slipping some. They were losing some of this vigor. But he says here in verse 24, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's interesting to me that the writer here compares assembling together with encouraging each other. He says, he says, provoke unto love and good works and don't stop meeting together. Meet together and encourage one another. And you need to do it more and more because the, the day of the Lord is approaching. And we, need, we can draw a lesson from that. When the church doors are open, even if it's a subject we don't care about, let's go and encourage each other just by our presence. It was interesting. I, I was talking to, to two different people in the last several years they went to two different congregations, but the one thing they were telling me was how frustrating it was to them. They would go to their church on Sunday morning, and the church was just packed full. But they'd go Wednesday night, and there wasn't hardly anybody there. And this was discouraging to them. And the one especially was, was, a, was a young person. And, and this, this was discouraging. And he, was, this, he had some other issues in his life as well, but this was one area where he was saying, why, why even go? You know, these, these people really even, even care about, about their relationship with the Lord. But it's encouraging when we get together, when we meet together, and we study God's Word. And then the last one is in Luke 9, where Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If we take this Word what it means if we take this mirror and look into it it's going to mean sacrificing our own selfish will our own sinful desires it's going to mean probably changing things that we once enjoyed and yet we are called to daily sacrifice ourselves and take up the cross of christ and follow him 
So in conclusion, as we go about our life, let's continually remember, number one, who we are serving. We are serving a God that wants to give us every good and perfect gift. We are serving a God that doesn't change. And two, let's remember why we are here. God has put us here for a purpose. He has a a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. And as we look into the mirror of God's word and the spirit shows us areas that are not right, let's purpose in our heart that we're not going to be like the foolish man that built his house on the sand, but instead, and we're not going to be like the man that looked in the mirror and then walked away, but instead, by the grace of God, that we will look at the word of God and we will allow it to change our life. Let's have a song.